Thanks for watching our podcast. Here at Spear Consulting, our services include business strategy and human resources consulting. In HR, we offer executive search, executive coaching, and work psychology consulting. Please visit us at spiritmco.com, where we fulfill our clients' dreams virtuously. Enjoy your show. Welcome back to the Leading Virtuously podcast. So excited to have this guest on the show. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Raquel, who are you? I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And who am I? I am a Latina, a Latina leader that happens to have the title of CEO. And right now I serve as the CEO of SHIP, the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. And I've been in this role for three and a half years. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, SHIP, its mission, and maybe kind of like the, the impact that the organization is having? Sure. Um, so SHIP, the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, at its core is about the education and the empowerment of Hispanic students and professionals in STEM, science, technology, engineering. And Let's go. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and we have been educating and empowering those Hispanic students and professionals for 47 years. Um, SHIP was born in a garage in East LA. It was inspired by five civil engineers that wanted to create a network um, for Hispanic engineers. And over the 47 years, SHIP has grown into the premier national organization for Hispanics in STEM. Uh, we have a near 14,000 members across the US. We are organized into student chapters as well as professional chapters. So there's likely uh, a SHIP chapter at your university or college and now community colleges um, and HSIs, but also for professional chapters in a metropolitan city near you. We have a bevy of programs um, along the entire pathway. Um, and our main focus is that university student three years before and three years after. So we do have junior chapter um, members. These are high school members as well as young professionals. We partner with some of the best companies in the world through our industry partnership council. They are essentially our think tank. And we launched this year our academic partnership council. So these are 85 of the best, um, very diverse academic institutions um, so that they serve as the brain trust for SHIP. We have nine signature events, um, seven starting with seven regional leadership development conferences, NILA, which is our Institute for Leadership at SHIP to bring in all the student leaders, um, professional chapter leaders, regional leaders, and national leaders. And then of course, what we're really known for is our convention. It is the largest gathering of Hispanics in STEM. And uh, we hosted for the first time ever this um, past October, 2020, uh, our first virtual convention 
and we hosted nearly 10,000 attendees. Yeah. <laughs> that, is a, that is a lot of attendees for sure. And uh, we're, we're doing good work, right? Yeah, I'm sure that wasn't also easy for you either to be able to shift on a dime to transition. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Gathering of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics uh, Latinos uh, within this organization, either for a going digitally, which has usually always been an in-person conference as well. So kudos to you for being able to transition that too. Thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, so appreciative um, to my team. We are a team of 20 and uh, they're nimble, they're focused, they're feisty. Um, they're definitely passionate about the mission of SHIP. And yes, we were able to pivot from an in-person on-site um, where it's truly, um, a very emotional experience. Um, it's very fast paced at our conventions, lots of learning and lots of fun. Um, and we were able to translate a lot of that um, virtually and we got great kudos from our partners and from our members as well. So I'm very pleased with the outcomes. Well, I don't think I could uh, ever hang on your team Raquel because most people call me you know, slow, a little heavy set, not very bright, dense, and uh, uh, not fitting. But uh, love the way you described your team. So that's very good. So uh, Raquel, how did you how did you get to this leadership position? Because I think that's super interesting that an attorney by trade is leading this, you know, engineering and STEM platform. Yeah, who would have ever thought that a Latina lawyer would be leading an organization of fourteen thousand STEM students and professionals? But here I am. And let me tell you, um, it was a long road and not an easy one with lots of ups and downs and ins and outs and um, emotional in, in many parts of it. Uh, but uh, when the recruiter reached out to me about the opportunity at SHIP, I was really at the top of my game in my legal um, career. I was a chief legal officer, general counsel, senior vice president of legal for a national organization whose mission was all about the creation of employment opportunities for persons with significant disabilities, mm -hmm. including service disabled and combat disabled veterans. And I was very passionate about that mission. And so when the recruiter called about the opportunity, at ship, admittedly, I was like, ship who, ship what? Do they build boats? Why are you calling me? <laughs> I don't do anything with boats. I don't know why you're calling me. <laughs> I don't understand. Um, and so I had to do all this research on ship. And I'm like, how do I not know about this organization? I'd like to think I'm a Latina leader in the know and I didn't know about ship. And so it was like the best kept secret. I was like, um, and when I did my due diligence on the organization and looked at all the corporate artifacts that were available to me and talked to people and inter interviewed folks, um, I was like, wow, this is an amazing organization. And they provide programs and services in this network, this sense of familia and these opportunities, very much um, those things that um, supported me in my career um, and in my career trajectory. For example, mentorship, internship, professional development, leadership development, 
a network, um, a, a, a sense of familia, that um, circle of trusted um, peers and, and, and advisors. And I was like, wow, if I, if I can gather all of my you know, skills and credentials and experience and bring that to the organization and add value, um, I would love to do that. It would be an honor to do that. Um, and then, you know, I was bumping that up against what I was seeing as far as socioeconomic factors and sort of all of these uh, factors coming together. For example, what was going on in immigration, what was going on with um, employment and labor and um, STEM, the demand for STEM, the population numbers for Hispanics, our impact, our positive impact on the economy, um, I felt that as a Hispanic community, um, that there was a, a sense of urgency, right, to to do something more and uh, and and to do my part. So I said, "Look, things are lining up. It makes sense. I'm going to pursue this." Honestly, I didn't think I had a chance because, hey, I'm a Latina lawyer and this is a STEM society. But here I am, you know, um, almost four years later and uh, the organization is stable and growing exponentially. We've broken all kinds of records. The profile of the organization is elevated. Not, on, not only, you know, have, do we have this national footprint, but We've been on the international stage. You know, SHIP was one, the one professional society that attended the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Um, we were one of five organizations to be a part of the first ever Hispanic delegation. So super proud about that. Um, in September, we rang uh, the bell at, on, on NASDAQ. And uh, so different and, and got the world's attention, right? So I'm really excited and proud of what my team and I have been able to do in the three and a half years. But uh, I would have never have predicted uh, being a CEO or certainly not being a CEO of a STEM society, but that just goes to show that it's not so much a title as it is how you carry yourself, how you navigate um, your personal life, your professional life. Um, always, um, I'm a continuous learner. I love to learn. Um, I heard recently uh, a quote that leaders are readers and I'm constantly reading um, and reading books, all kinds of books, um, and then connecting the dots. Um, and I bring that, um, those insights into everything that I do personally and professionally. Um, so I think it's about leadership, wherever you are, whatever station of life you're in, whether you're a student or professional, young professional, more senior professional, um, and looking for opportunities and stepping in and stepping up. And if someone's not recognizing you, then asking for those opportunities, you know, raising your hand to ask for that stretch assignment, tooting your horn, but not blowing it and getting credit for what you're doing um, and showing up and being prepared. 
um, always being overprepared and being excellent, or at least striving to be excellent at what you do in everything that you do. I love that. Thank you. You had said that in your upbringing, this has been a, a long journey and road. That I know that you you had communicated that when you were growing up, that you grew up in an impoverished area in Texas, and that you had to ride a bus an hour to be able to go to private school. And, uh, and you mentioned, so you also had talked about the fact that when you were in this community, that one of the ways that you had coped was to basically like always be learning. And I, you know, obviously can see that, you know, still to this day. And that that transcended itself into the great grades that you had gotten and progressed all throughout your life. But I, I'm just kind of curious, like, did you ever feel, you know, especially like, you know, being in that society, did you ever feel like burnout? from always having to be on because you felt like you were operating at, at a different level with, with other kids. And so the reason I ask you this question, because I would imagine that some executives that have recently been promoted, they might be feeling like they're hanging with a new level and, and you know, kind of starting to feel a little bit of that burn as they're being stretched to, to grow it and operate at a higher level. You know, that's an interesting question. And I'm, I'm going back, right, thinking, and I'm picturing myself in my room in the house that my parents built and still live there in the hood in Houston. Um, and I don't remember feeling burnt out. Um, I was, and it's not as if my parents were pushing me, like, hey, you know, you need to go do this, you need to go do that, you need to make good grades, you need to get into this activity. It was just something within me. I think, you know, being the youngest of six and seeing my my older sisters and brothers being I'm number, an old I'm number five of six, by the way. There you go, right? <laughs> yeah. So I know what that chaos looks like. Right, sure. right. And and I think I I just was an old soul and just always very observant. And thankfully my father would indulge my curiosities too. Um but I learned early on that in order to get out of the hood, um, it needed to be about education. And so um, I think my parents did, I think, notice that I was smart and thankfully they did something about it. And I, and I ended up going to Van, a, a Vanguard program um, where I had to ride the bus for an hour to get to River Oaks, which is the wealthiest neighborhood in Houston. Mm. So I went from being from one of the poorest neighborhoods to one of the wealthiest neighborhoods and you know, lots of learning there, right? Um, seeing how the better half lives. And I think that was a motivator. Um, and then for middle school and high school, uh, my parents did send me to private schools because the schools in my neighborhood weren't that great. And honestly, I think my parents were concerned that I was going to get into trouble. So they made all these sacrifices to send me to private schools. But in those private schools, you know, very wealthy families and students, um, they always seem to have more and better. And that I used as a motivator too. Um, deep down, without anyone saying so, 
I felt that I could be just as good, that I was just as good. And that if I had to work harder, I was gonna work harder and longer and faster and smarter. And, and it was that inner sense of competition and wanting to win and wanting to be good enough because I knew that I was good enough and that I was not less than. And that has always been a driver for me, a motivator for me. Um, but really at the core is that education was going to get me out of the hood. And, you know, being that youngest child and seeing my sisters go from my father's house to their husband's house. I didn't necessarily want that for myself. Um, and part of that, I was influenced, um, and you and I talked about this, part of that was influenced by my Me Too experience at a very early age um, when I was in the fifth grade. And so that definitely influenced my sense of purpose that I wanted to be able to fend for myself, take care of myself, and really not have to be dependent on any one person or any one thing other than myself. And that has also been a driver for me. Wow. So, well, thank you for your vulnerability to share that. Not many people have the uh, the courage to to be able to you know publicize that. So, can and can you share a little bit more about that experience and how that's shaped you and and affected you as a leader? Sure. Um, and it hasn't been long that I've been able to talk about it, and I don't talk about it in detail. Um, but I am grateful for the Me Too movement. I think it's afforded a lot of us a platform, a safe place to say that something traumatic happened um, and to find shared language with others. And it took a very long time for me to tell my my mother, um, I was I couldn't sleep. I was having nightmares, and you know, didn't want her to tell my dad. And here I am at fifty years old, and I still don't know if my dad knows. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed, and it wasn't anything that I did. Um, and it, it was outside of my family, um, but it impacted how I navigated around men in my family, even my brothers and my father. And that was unfortunate. Um, they didn't know. And had they known, I think it would have not been a, a good outcome for the perpetrator, right? Um, but I didn't know how to process it for a long time. And my mom wasn't necessarily equipped to help me process it. And, but she, you know, she did what she could and, and, and tried to protect me. And sometimes it felt like I was being punished um, 
and and I've I've had to process that and deal with that and um, you know it's it's interesting it was only a year ago that I actually shared it with my sisters and they were so surprised and and um, and in a way hurt that I, I hadn't shared it with them but I was only really prepared to talk about it to share it about a year ago and, and this is something that happened when I was in the fifth grade right so um, I I can empathize with women with girls and women who have had even more tragic experiences um, or repeated experiences it is very traumatic and it does shape who you are and who who you become and how you navigate the world um, thankfully and I don't know where it came from but I found the wherewithal to use it as a as fuel as a motivator to 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 study and so that I could not just have a job but a career and that I could take care of myself and that was a way of protecting myself and um, being able to navigate a really <laughs> VUCA world, right? Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world that we live in. Um, but I have to wonder sometimes had it not happened. And I have an amazing relationship with my father and my brothers, and unfortunately, they've both passed away. But um, I'm very close with my father, despite what happened um, with this other person. And and I am who I am today because of my father, because he has always made me feel invincible. And I wish that for everyone out there to have someone that believes in them and helps them to feel invincible. And I'm lucky to have, you know, a handful of people like that in my life. I have a mentor and a career sponsor and an advocate who has aspirations for me that I don't even have for myself. Like, how awesome is that? That's incredible. Yeah, it really is. And so, you know, if you're out there, whether you're a girl or a boy, a woman or a man, I think um, in many instances, we've had Me Too experiences and some of us are ready to talk about it and, and share and draw upon it. And some of us aren't, look how long it took me. And I was just having a conversation with one of my closest friends and she admitted that she had had a me too, but she wasn't prepared to talk about it. And I respect that. Um, and what I told her was, hey, you know, when you're ready, I'm here. When you're ready to talk about it and maybe you never will. And, and I think that's okay too. And so we have at least started the conversation. And she said, look, I never even admitted that to anyone. And so I think she's starting her healing process. And it is, when you're able to share something like this, it's part of the healing. And, um, and so for a really long time, I was healing in different ways, but healing in silence. Mm. And I think so you, I've got a question for you as a follow-up to that. Do you have any regrets about now having gone over the last year to be like, all right, I'm going to let this go and, and stop allowing it to have power over me? 
do you wish that you could have shared it sooner to to diminish its ability to hold power over you in that way? I don't know. I'm kind of just curious, like also what your healing journey has been like for the last year. Right. Um, I think maybe it did have power over me for a while, right? When I was between fifth grade and sixth grade and I was trying to figure it out and, and um, trying to reconcile it for myself. Um, and I wasn't sleeping and I was having nightmares. Um, it helped, right, to share it with my mother. But like I explained before, I also used it as a driver, as a motivator. Hmm. Um, no doubt, it, it did influence how I carried myself and, and how I navigated the world, um, especially around men. Um, I, I don't think that it has been to a total detriment, right? Um, I don't think I will go back and say, oh, I, I did it wrong, or I could have done it different, or I could have done it sooner, you know, expressing this, sharing this. It happened the way it needed to happen. Um, and the Me Too movement um, helped prepare, uh, set up a platform, a venue by which to do that and, and feel safe, right, without judgment. Um, because Me Too is a shared experience. And although I always knew that there were other girls and women out there and even boys and men who'd had those experiences, it wasn't, there wasn't necessarily a platform or a forum by which to share that and feel safe and, and be vulnerable. Yeah. That way. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't go back and, and regret going through the process that I went through on the timeline that I went through. And I wouldn't say that it has held power over me. I used it to power myself, to empower myself. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. And, and just so that I can help clarify from my vantage point, I had a similar experience too, a little bit younger than you. And then just like an unfortunate steamrolling of circumstances that that led me to a rooftop to on the verge of committing suicide at 22. And, and so I never really learned how to share my feelings and what was going on uh, in my heart until basically like in my thirties. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I just, for me, the the outcome of a lot of that stuff ended up being a very detrimental to my own mental well-being. So from that basis, that's why I asked the question, like if you kind of like now being as you're going down this healing journey, if like looking back, if you wish, you know, if you had the opportunity to communicate that sooner, would you have? I know, and and again, it sounds like you know you used you kind of flipped it where you empowered yourself and and wanted to. It was a motivator for you. For me, I went the exact opposite way, and and if I had the chance to do it over, would have easily communicated that sooner because it did hold power over me, and I really feel like it it uh, you know, it just put me through a lot more suffering than I need, needed to go through. Um, no, I do, and I empathize with you. Um, 
mean, I'm sure, you know, along the way, um, there were times where I felt dejected, you know, down and out and questioned who I, who I was and who I was becoming and why I was, you know, um, in this frenetic pace, right? Um, that trying to control that which I could control because in that moment as a fifth, fifth grader, I didn't have control. Something happened to me um, that, did it, that I didn't consent to. Um, and so I did flip it, um, but I'm known for flipping the script on a lot of things. Um, you know, when somebody, when an executive called me a feisty Latina and I was stunned and didn't know how to respond and I'm never at a loss for words, um, but thankfully a mentor helped me process that. And now I tap into my feisty Latina. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and just, I encourage other Latinas to be their feisty selves. And I encourage the Latino, in, the Latino men in their lives to support their feisty Latina. So I, I have a, a tendency to um, flip the script and uh, use it as fuel power wonderful well thank you for for sharing that and and the the power that comes with being able to be vulnerable in this way and not uh, allow this stuff to to you know take control uh and uh so yeah so i really appreciate that and um so the this podcast is all about virtuous leadership so can you speak a little bit about where virtue and business intersects for you raquel you know, that's a, a, an interesting question. Um, for me, it's not so much an intersection as it is an integration, right? For me, value-based leadership, virtuous leadership is in my DNA. It's how I navigate um, being a leader, being a CEO. And there are certain virtues, certain... Um, virtues that I really tap into that are at my core, for example, integrity, um, honesty. Those things are, have always um, been my compass. It's part of my character. It, a, lot of, um, a lot of my values are, were instilled in me very early on by the example and the role models that are my parents. Um, I could not ask for better parents. I'm grateful to still have them in my life. My dad is 98 years young and my mom is 90 years young and they've been together over 70 years. Wow. And yeah, right? Like you don't hear that very often. And they still live in that in the house that they built when they immigrated from Mexico. And so um, I'm lucky that I that they are my parents, that I have them as my parents. And they weren't able to give me everything I wanted, but they were able to give me the most important things and that's unconditional love and support. And um, my dad has always been my rock He's always, um, you know, like I said earlier, has always made me feel invincible. 
and a lot of who I am as a woman, as a human being, is because of my father. He's the wisest person that I know, one of the funniest, wittiest persons that I know, the best cook and chef that I know, um, and I just really love him and enjoy him, and so grateful to have him still in my life. Um, and so going back to your question about the intersection of virtue and, and, and business and leadership, I think virtue and virtuous leadership. And, you know, I mentioned this book, right? Virtuous leadership um, is something that I've read and because it just made sense to me. And I, I, I read based on my values, or at least I try and lead based on my values. And um, I think if more leaders did that, and we're all leaders, right? You don't have to have a, a certain title. Um, we're all leading in some way in our homes, in our workplaces, on campuses, in our own personal life. Um, we're leading, leading ourselves um, in life. And so I think if, as leaders, we could be more mindful about virtues and the aspects of those virtues, each of those virtues, that we would all be better off. Hmm. I still have a lot of work to do. I am a worker. That's where I wanted to transition the next conversation because this incredibly bright and feisty Latina that I know had once said that, that leadership is learning. So just was curious, you know, Raquel, for yourself, are there any virtues that are your, like that this current role is stretching you for the opportunity to learn that you're currently uh, learning and walking out right now? Expressing compassion. I'd like to think that I am a compassionate person. I don't always come across as a compassionate person. Um, I think sometimes we get caught up in, and I get caught up in the image of a CEO um, and trying to be objective and um, fair, right? Um, and not playing favorites. What does that look like? And how does that manifest? Especially in a really small organization with a small team where everybody knows everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really that, how, how do you run an organization and still show that you care and that you are compassionate. It's, uh, it's something that I'm still figuring out, right? Um, so it's something that I'm working on. Mm. As I evolve as a leader and as a human being. And I think we all, <laughs> right now with everything that's going on with this, the economy and our political landscape and the social unrest, um, people that have been impacted by COVID, especially communities of color, 
think we would all benefit from being more empathetic and more compassionate and actually demonstrating that empathy and that compassion and not just saying the words. Yeah, I think in order to be able to have that level of compassion, though, you need to be able to have some form of reflection. You know, Christians may call that prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, religious might say the term prayer. You know, uh, New Age may call that mindfulness. But I think that unless we're reflecting and we're able to tap into like a source outside of our own self, like it, it's hard to do that because, uh, yeah, it's just like I, I heard another person recently on the podcast say like the way that she defines that bar is like, how would I want my mom and my sister and my dad or brother loved ones? How would I want them to be treated? And then basically like that is their principle. So then then if we're just looking at this purely from a secular standpoint, then it's like in your time of reflection, thinking about yourself and your actions, like where was I the best version of myself and where was I not? And and being able to use that principle of like, okay, and you know, the golden rule, like, am I treating people the way that I want to be treated or I want my loved ones to be treated? And that gives you kind of like the the guiding post to recognize. Am I heading in that right direction or not? And then, you know, from that, then recognizing those moments as to where you have triggers, where you're not being the best version of yourself, and then be able to, to you know, every single day, it's, a, you know, they call it the present because every single day is a present to be able to start over and work again towards the best version of yourself. So, so, but thank you for sharing about, about compassion. Yeah, because, yeah, I think, I think that's, I think I, I'm my prayer is that that we as a society and especially in business like this whole thing of of the of the coronavirus and having you know people have lost a lot of loved ones all of our working situations have changed dramatically and I'm hoping that we as leaders recognize that there's an opportunity to change that when all restrictions are removed and we go back to what is hopefully some level of normalcy that we shift and we change and we look at some of the ways that we haven't been compassionate, we haven't been loving towards other people. And we recognize that it's time as a society that, that we make those changes. So thank you for sharing uh, on that as well. And uh, it's been a real honor to be able to uh, interview on, on the podcast and, and your stories are so inspirational. So thank you for sharing that as well. Um, Raquel, how can people get a hold of you and the, the work that you're doing? Sure. So, um, social media, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you type in Google uh, Raquel Tamez CEO ship, you'll find me, um, my email address. And I pride myself in, in being responsive is uh, Raquel, R-A-Q-U-E-L-T as in Tom at shipshpe.org. And um, I'll just add, you know, the whole, the part about reflecting, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, I often say that leaders are readers, but they also reflect. Darn it. Missed the quote. <laughs> oh, we're so close, but missed it. Oh, 
that's leaders okay. are readers. You're like, Chris, no, that's not what I said. I said leaders are readers. Leaders are learn leaders learn too. It's about continuous learning and you continuously learn through reading. Um, and so um, I think something very connected. Sorry, and the, 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 the executive quote was this guy, this fiery Latino, Christopher Gomez. <laughs> the leaders are learners. <laughs> but yes, leaders are readers. Got it. Yeah, leaders, leaders are readers and they reflect, um, is what I add. Um, but uh, very connected to you know, leading a virtuous life, virtuous leadership. Um, I'm doing. Uh, a lot of research and reading around stoicism um, because they really are at the core. Um, it is about values and uh, virtue. So it's something you might explore for yourself um, and readers out there. It's, um, I think I've always been a stoic. I just didn't know it. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing. I will. I have not done that amount of research, so we can talk offline about the resources that would be good. And overall, I'm just so excited to, you know, just meet a, a fellow sister. And I feel like we're on the same journey, so I love it. Yeah, for I sure. Love meeting. We're not alone. <laughs> yes. Well, this has been so good. Thank you for sharing, and uh, look forward to keeping the dialogue moving forward. And thanks again for being on the podcast. Yeah, and thank you for having me and thank you for doing this. This was um, a really delightful experience. I, I appreciate the time. Great, thank you. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. <laughs> Just joking. The Leading Virtuously podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.